0: Welcome to Egg Annex Talks, a podcast brought to you by the agriculture brands of Annex Business Media. Join the teams behind Top Crop Manager, Potatoes in Canada, Fruit and Vegetable, Manure Manager, and Canadian Poultry magazines for compelling conversations with some of the most important voices in Canadian agriculture.
1: Bayer Crop Science is a proud supporter of influential women in Canadian agriculture. As a member of Canada's agricultural community, we recognize the hard work and contributions made by women to this important industry and support the sharing of their voices, stories, challenges, and achievements as a way to recognize everything they bring to the table each and every day. Welcome to the start of our second Influential Women in Canadian Agriculture program. Since March of 2020, this program has existed to recognize the hard work and the key roles played by women in Canadian agriculture. This year, we received countless submissions from nominees looking to recognize the achievements of women who are farm owners, researchers and professors, advocates, and more. Over the coming months, we'll be speaking with each of our seven 2021 IWCA honorees. All were nominated for their innovation, leadership, and community work in the field of agriculture. This podcast is just one aspect of our program, which will also include a digital edition and a half-day virtual summit. Join us as we learn from our nominees about their experiences, triumphs, advice, and visions for the future of agriculture.
0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Egg Annex Talks as part of our Influential Women in Canadian Agriculture series. I'm Stephanie Crowley, Editorial Director of the Egg Group at Annex Business Media. I'm here today speaking with Crystal Mackay, the CEO and founder of Loft32 and utensil.ca and the Coordinator of Food Day Canada, which is coming up on July 31st. Welcome Crystal and thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on being named one of our uh, 2021 influential women in Canadian agriculture and I'm sure as we're about to hear, um, there's lots of reasons why uh, this title perfectly suits you um, and so I'm really looking forward to chatting with you and, and hearing about your your story.
2: Thank you. It was a, It's a real honour and uh, a really good news surprise for me to be named. Oh,
0: wonderful. So uh, I'll let you start by just telling us a little bit about your background in agriculture and um, maybe leading into your current role. Um, I know it's very multifaceted, so um, maybe you can just share some of your, the details of your your ag story with our listeners. Sure. Um, you know,
2: it's a, it's a long one, but I'll uh, try to give you the highlights. I would say my whole career Can be summed up as working to bridge the gap between farmers and consumers so from a young age i started doing that uh, producer to consumer education and that's where my passion has always been so a farm girl grew up in the ottawa valley went to the university of guelph studied animal science and minored in communications and put my degree to good use every single day and i still do so I uh, started out with uh, what I called it, my time in the trenches. My first job was with the Ontario Farm Animal Council representing all livestock and poultry farmers. Uh, I spent a 100 days a year at public events. So things like the Royal Winter Fair and Canadian National Exhibition, public events across the, the province where I would have real conversations with real Canadian consumers who've many cases, never seen a farm animal before. So that's where I got my roots in communications was with real people, having real conversations, which I feel really grounded me to, for the rest of my career. Then I went on to work for Ontario Pork where I created a new role, which was producer and consumer relations into one role, which was a, a first. And so uh, it really fostered what I love to do is also working with farmers and help them become better communicators and which I still do today, as well as bridging the gap over to the consumers. Then I was literally the summer student that became the CEO. I went back to uh, the Ontario Farm Animal Council as the executive director and uh, in a leadership capacity there, and, which uh, would formed the roots of something I'm really proud of, the whole farm and food care movement, which is uh, thinking bigger and beyond sectors to say the whole food system can come together and uh, do better in a collaborative way with communicating with the public. And then the next level was uh, to take that nationally to help uh, with uh, creating the farm and food care model in other provinces and uh, was the founding CEO of the Canadian Centre for Food Integrity. So I served in that capacity where it wasn't um, so much consumer focus as our own food system, the value of bringing our own food system partners together. Agriculture is so diverse. Um, you know, dairy doesn't understand berry, who doesn't understand aquaculture, uh, and getting all the different players in the room was really exciting, uh, not without a lot of heavy lifting, but really exciting to help create the Center for Food Integrity, which is uh my last job and then I stepped down from there in 2019 to create uh, the company I work for today, LOFT32.
0: Wonderful. I think it's so fascinating to hear about your role because um, as you say, when you grew up on a farm, you have such a unique perspective when you're trying to connect farmers to consumer um, because obviously we're all consumers. We understand that, but I find it's really difficult to communicate those messages, those really important messages about our food system and about where food comes from and, and linking one part of the egg industry to another. Um, but having that farm background definitely helps you, I would imagine, but uh, your, your whole career is so diverse. So I think that's, that's a really cool perspective that you bring to your different roles.
2: Well, to back up, I didn't start when I was born because I felt that I was going too far back. But a, a really interesting wrinkle in my story is I didn't quite start on the farm. I actually lived in Toronto until I was seven. Okay. So my mom's family farm is uh, Kipling and Dixon. Dixon Road is where the Toronto airport is. So if yeah. any of your listeners have ever been to the Toronto airport, yeah. that's um, the history of my mom's great, you know, great grandparents. Uh, so I lived on, on a farmhouse right near there until I was seven. And then moved to the farm in the Ottawa Valley, because my parents, of course, the city had grown up around us a long time before. And they said, uh, yeah, so I thought I was the luckiest kid on the planet to go to, you know, 20 barn cats and a a barn full of uh, cattle. And I got my own pony, like literally hit the farm jackpot. So I've always um, and then, of course, I have lots of cousins from the city that would come to farm camp, as we called it, you know, to stay with (laughs) us. And uh, so I feel from a really young, young age, I was. um, I just was so excited to be part of agriculture and got to practice lots of conversations with my own family on uh, what we do on our farm.
0: That's really cool. Especially unique too. I know I I said that earlier, but now knowing that the farm roots actually started in, in kind of a not so rural area in Toronto and what led your family to go out towards Ottawa way?
2: Well, my dad is from a dairy farm in Quebec, actually. Okay. And so he had like many, you know, from a family of 14. So uh, mm-hmm. only one can farm. So the other 13 moved away. And it was very common, um, you know, back in the day for people to hit to the big cities, right? For so sure. my dad headed to Toronto, which is where he met my mom, worked in the city for many years. And, but they were both obviously farmers at heart and farmers. Mm-hmm. So they're like, you know what, we want to raise our family in the country. So to move up a little closer to where my dad was from.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's once you get um, back to the country, it's hard to leave. I think a lot of us can yeah, attest absolutely. to that too. Yeah, yeah that's really cool. Um, so obviously you've had a lot of experience and a lot of really influential roles in your um, career, but I wanted to find out what do you like best about your current role? Um, and I know Loft 32 is fairly new um, to you and, and and to the egg world in general, but um, mm-hmm. what made you jump into that, um, to kind of the communication side of things more um, on your own in 2020? 19 when you started loft
2: 32? Well, I took a lot of courage and a lot of thinking uh, from myself and many other good people to create the loft 32 model because it's a new business model. So it's really a talent stable of good people uh, with a focus on the vision and things in common, such as love for agriculture and food. So I spent a lot of time thinking about it before I made the decision. It's hard to quit a job you love. And obviously I, uh, I love working with the center for food integrity and I am still really supportive of the goals of that organization. Uh, But for me, I spent a lot of time thinking about the future and my time, basically. So when I looked at where I spend my time, who I spend my time with, what I spend my time doing, um, you know, basically made a pros and cons list and what do I love to do and what do I want to avoid to do. Uh, I also spent some time problem solving and not just me. I have a co-founder, Maggie Van Camp, who's also a chicken farmer. And uh, a longtime friend from university. So together we approached it as a problem-solving exercise to say what are the problems in agriculture that we think we could help solve, and then where what are our skill sets, and then quite frankly, what do I have fun doing? And so kind of piece those three things together: problems, skill sets, and what I have fun doing. Because having fun has always been a really important part of all of my jobs. Even though I dealt with some tough issues, I always surrounded myself with good people and managed to. I could. I always feel you can take yourself, your job seriously without taking yourself too seriously. So building some fun into uh, the loft 32 model is really important to me.
0: That's cool. And I think you always hear the phrase, find something that you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. And I think maybe you can really uh, be a testament to that because hearing the stories about what people are doing, obviously that's why I got into journalism because I like to talk to people. I I can certainly understand uh, the need to have fun in your, in your position and in your role. That's really awesome. Absolutely. Something I'm
2: really excited about is I just uh, started as the coordinator of Food Day Canada. And I'm excited about this because it's, it's really symbolic of uh, where I think our industry needs to go is to take agriculture and become part of the food conversation, which I, I have been in my previous work. And if we use Food Day Canada, it's coming up July 31st as a, a great grassroots example of something everybody can be part of. And quite frankly, chefs and restaurants have been the ones that have been heralding this event, uh, which was led by a dear friend and very well-respected lady, the late Anita Stewart. And Mm -hmm. Anita started that event as a tribute to beef farmers back in 2003. Great, and she got restaurants and uh, chefs to come on side and feature Canadian beef. Like, how awesome is that? That's really and cool. so that it's so cool. And so that events carried on. Uh, here we are, and about three years ago, I've always been a supporter in my previous work uh, through our efforts and channels. And then now, uh, when I started loft Thirty Two, Anita was one of the first people I had a conversation with, and I volunteered my time to help her. Mm -hmm. Uh, to get more farmers to the table saying you're growing this incredible food that uh, the chefs are profiling, you should come to the party. And so I've just been named officially the, uh, the coordinator of Food Day Canada. It's just it's absolutely an honor. And it's something I'm really passionate about. And I love it that it can be an individual can take a selfie and a picture of their barbecue, uh, mm. or they could go out to dinner and get an all Canadian food, or it can yeah. be a really big, uh, you know, the chef of the Fairmont hotel is a partner. So it's, cool. it's literally the whole supply chain. So, um, super exciting and just really symbolic of where the conversation on food can help agriculture elevate our profile.
0: That's really cool. So food day Canada is happening July 31st. I'm assuming there are resources out there for folks who want to get involved in some way, whatever their role is, um, on the supply chain. We'll have to link those in our show Uh, notes.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Fooddaycanada.ca. There's graphics, there's a toolkit, but it's, it's really grassroots. So it's, it could be, you know, we say eat, shop, eat and dine like a Canadian. So you can start with that. And then for people that have uh, companies or associations or official communications channels, there's all Mm -hmm. kinds of fun things you can do to, to be part of the conversation about food and really turn it up. And we say, um, we light up icons across the country. So mm-hmm. things like Niagara Falls and the mm-hmm. CN Tower and the PEI Parliament building, you know, so we light up icons red and white mm-hmm. on food day across the country. So you can look for uh, an icon in your province that's lit up or light up one if you have a building or an icon and uh, say, hey, we're shining a light on, cu- on Canadian cuisine. You could take a selfie with it or promote it through your social media. Uh, last year, we reached about 15 million people with food day Canada with $0. It's all grassroots and volunteer and um, just people that believe in, Celebrating Canadian food and the amazing people who make it happen. So super fun, super positive, inclusive. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't enjoy some great Canadian food? Just I was just sharing ha- Hashtag Food Day Canada. You're getting hungry yeah, right now, are you? Am. <laughs> I'm thinking.
0: Okay, we'll do pancakes <laughs> with maple syrup in the morning, oh, and then maybe poutine yeah. for lunch. Yeah, there's yeah, lots of things that we absolutely. could do. Yeah, wonderful. 100. Would you say? Uh, that would be one of a risk, like one of the biggest risks that you have taken and jumping out and starting out on your own, or are there other risks that kind of stick out in your mind over your career um, that have been really monumental and a little bit, I mean, lots of things are a little bit scary, but when we think about risks, where do we go?
2: Um, I would say personally, for sure, quitting a job that you love. And, um, you know, at a time when, you know, if you think about building a new entity and a new way of doing business, it took a lot of heavy lifting um, before we even launched in 2016. And then, you know, to run it the first three years. And uh, the chair of the Center for Food Integrity is Kim McConnell, well known to many people. And I remember having a conversation with him and he's like, are you sure?" Because it's going to get easier, you know. The heavy lifting is really in development, and and uh, I felt really sure that it was time for me to make a change. But it took courage, um, you know. It's hard to leave a, a a job that you love and a steady paycheck to start your own enterprise with a brand new business model that's not proven. So this right. isn't we're not like a regular ad agency, you know. Right. This is a a boutique firm with some specialized skill sets uh, in agriculture and food, um, with a focus on communications training so uh which you know there's some of it in agriculture but not a lot so kind of Mm -hmm. a new space so all of that would be a big risk so i would say personally that's the biggest scary moment in my Mm -hmm. career on the professional side i would add in in the early days of uh, working at ontario pork i got to be part of a really great campaign which was the first of its kind called farm to fork which was this Mm -hmm. bridging farmers to consumers and the Mm -hmm. roots of it are still around and um, created an award-winning campaign called Faces of Farming. And we see this concept everywhere. It's still carried on quite well by farm and food care groups across the country, in the classroom, you see a lot of crop life campaigns. Uh, many, many groups use the Faces of Farming. But mm-hmm. at the early roots of that, that was a uh, new ground that uh, I helped develop. And I just, based on my experience, which I shared with you about having many conversations with people, they weren't so interested in learning all the facts about agriculture. They wanted to know the human beings behind mm-hmm. their food and to know that they could trust them. They didn't know that they didn't need the 10 bullet points I was trying to share with them on a sign. They wanted to know that Crystal's family eats the same beef they do. Right. And you know, that we care for the cattle in the land. So I was very invested in storytelling kind mm-hmm. of before my time, I guess I would say, and the value of putting the face of farming first. And uh, that took a lot of guts and time and effort to sell the concept to a board of directors, Ontario Park at the time, to their credit, uh, who took me up on the idea and it took a couple of years. I'm not going (laughs) to lie. I think this is the way we need to go is they're like, Mm -hmm. we need to educate people about farming. I'm like, no, we need to have a conversation about food and we need to introduce ourselves to people. So that was, uh, you know, going back to around 1999, so a while ago, and now I'm really proud to see that that kind of thinking is all over the place, but being the first at anything, being a pioneer is, uh, you're breaking new ground and maybe taking a few arrows in your back at the same
0: time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's become so important. The concept of, you know, fostering public trust between producers and consumers and, and, um, you know, my, um, my family, um, is are, are butchers. And so that's something that has always been a, a concern for them as well. Right. It, it, people are wondering where exactly their beef and their pork are coming from and where, if I'm buying it from you at your butcher shop, um, where are you getting it from and how are those cattle raised? How are those hogs raised? And, and that's something that you can't really get the feel for that. Or, or like you said, you know, hearing it directly from the people is so much more effective than reading it on a a pamphlet somewhere. Um, So I think that's really wonderful that you've devoted so much time to, to really cultivating those relationships between producers and consumers, because it it is so important and um, I can appreciate that for sure.
2: Well, it's interesting you have, uh, you know, from a butcher shop perspective, one of our, there were two, uh, I would say, Really important and gratifying moments in the early days of Faces of Farming. So, you know, I took a big chance, Mm -hmm. got the board to buy into this crazy idea that we need to put people first, not pigs or not pork, and, uh, you know, created the Faces of Farming calendar was the first piece that we did. And so we mailed that out to a thousand grocery stores and butcher shops, as well as um, every major media outlet in Mm -hmm. the province. And uh, the first call I got was from an editor of a food magazine. She said, I got your Faces of farming calendar in the mail. And I'm like, yes, you know, I'm very nervous. And she's like, is it possible to get three more? Because the ladies in the office are fighting over them. So I'm Ah. like, yes, I'll (laughs) send you a hundred. How many do you need? That was one. And the second one to your story uh, was a butcher shop owner who called and said, "Uh, thank you so much for the beautiful calendar. I wondered if you could send me another one because I took yours apart. And I put it in the window of my butcher shop in downtown Toronto, and wow. all of these people are stopping and reading the stories because it was very striking photography, black and white photography. Sure. It wasn't like a free farm calendar, you know, it was very sure. striking photography, unusual. Yep. And then with their interesting stories, like I'm a hockey coach and I'm mm-hmm. a mom and, mm-hmm. you know, I play the violin or, you right. know, like about human interest stories. I'm not just a farmer, but on top yeah. of all those things, and I'm really proud to grow your food. So he asked if I could send him a second one that he could actually keep as a calendar because he cool used Whoa. it as a wallpaper on his window. So, so That's fun so and cool. just gratifying, especially in the early days, because you take a chance selling an idea in a, a new direction. Of it's course, gratifying to get feedback like that to say, okay, our target audience agrees. This is a good idea.
0: That's cool. And even if, you know, you'll, you'll only hear feedback from a select group of people, right. Or a select few people, but that will stay with you for so many years, obviously. So yeah. nice to hear. Very.
1: Looking for more great ag talk. Check out the FCC Knowledge Podcast, Talking Farm and Food. Join Marty Seymour as he talks to Canadian producers about their lives, businesses, and the lessons they've learned along the way. It's real stories, real people, and real good conversation. Find Talking Farm and Food wherever you get your podcasts or visit fcc.ca slash podcasts. Subscribe today.
0: You have talked a little bit about challenges. Obviously, there have been many. There's always challenges, but is there something that you really um, can really sticks out in your mind as a particular learning, um, a learning opportunity in, in terms of a challenge that that you've experienced?
2: Um, uh, in the early days of my career, I spent a lot of time dealing with critics, uh, so activist groups who oppose farming specifically, and uh, really developed a lot of subject matter knowledge around that area and it's it's a serious issue and it's it subsides and it raises its head depending on the day and the issue and the groups mm-hmm. um they'll always be critics of our industry and i would say for me just maturing and my attitude about it is um I've evolved to not to fight with critics, uh, but to say, isn't it awesome that we have so much food that people can criticize us their mouthful is my, my biggest, uh, learning, I guess mm-hmm. I would say as I've matured. Uh, and the second piece of that is, um, to just put haters into perspective, you know, to say, uh, we're feeding everybody, you know, whether it's tofu or, you know, chicken, Mm-hmm. Um Everybody has to eat. Mm-hmm. So um, to not spend a lot of energy on haters, basically, uh, to say, you know what? I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm gonna not spend all my time and energy over there. I'm going to focus on maybe the people with just question marks and mm-hmm. uh, the people that genuinely want to know more and have an informed conversation.
0: That's helpful because I, I think it's easy to get wrapped up in that hate and the, and the criticism. Right, as it you is. mentioned, and, you might only hear yeah. one or two positive comments from someone, but you might hear ten negative ones. Right, because people are um, inclined to speak out more when they're when they're feeling a little heated about something, perhaps. Absolutely, that old
2: uh, "When do you write a letter to the editor?" Right, exactly. When you're upset or when you're happy. I try <laughs> to encourage people to write letters when they're happy. By the way, yeah. but uh, I would say shifting from a defensive fighting. I'm gonna defend the industry, which in the early days that's what everybody did and there's always a need to defend and protect and and I get that but that's that's not my purpose. My purpose is I think of um, the analogy would be we're gonna have a big barbecue and invite all of Canada to attend mm-hmm. and I want to sit down at a picnic table in person whenever we could do that kind of crazy yes. talk and uh, have a conversation with people and there will be people I disagree with and I'm mature enough to agree to disagree and say, you know, is there Can I help you make a more informed decision? And I I don't need to defend. uh, I could just help them make a more informed decision, which is a very different way of looking at it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's like that. Um, I've, I've seen a, a meme going around on social media. Like, isn't it nice that you can just it, uh, disagree with something and keep scrolling instead of having to, you know, comment and, and start a fight with everybody you meet? Because in, in online, I think, too, in, in the digital age that we live in, people are so much more inclined to uh, become kind of keyboard warriors, so to speak, and, and speak out about you know, all kinds of things that they wouldn't necessarily say to someone's face. And I, I know agriculture has taken, um, has had, you know, we've had instances of that within our industry as well. So yeah, that's a bit tricky 100%. too. 100
2: Well, and if you think of every, every bit of communications as a conversation and, um, so whether it's on social media or in person mm-hmm. or an article or a blog you wrote or a video post, if you think of all of it as a conversation about food, if you're at a barbecue and two people are having an argument about something are, are the other people going to want to be part of that? Yeah, Probably not. We're Canadian. We're not comfortable with conflict. So it's like, um, so the two fighters are going to ostracize themselves and then the rest of us are going to just sit there and you know what, let's, let's have a chat about whatever. And it's okay. If you don't eat the same things I do, that's cool. Why did you choose to be a vegan? Or why do you eat gluten-free? You know, Mm. tell me a bit more about that. And then I'll, I'll tell you, I know a few things about that topic you know, if you'd like to hear from me and just yeah. a lot less confrontational. And the more mature I get, I would say the more i I use the word mature loosely, by the way, for, that <laughs> <me that. laughs> I guess the older I get, I would say uh, with wisdom comes the need to have a conversation and not an argument.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's a good perspective and something we can all uh, remind ourselves of right now. So Very good. Moving away from challenges. um, I want to talk about kind of your defining moments um, and and accomplishments. And obviously there've been quite a few, but um, are there some particular accomplishments or moments that you've been especially proud of in your career? And and can you share those with us?
2: That's a, that's a really tough question. I would say
0: um,
2: for me, um, awards like this, and there's some other examples I have, to be recognized by your peers. Um, I'm not, I have a big presence, but I don't have a big ego, which may be strange to some people, but I, I'm very purpose-driven. So Mm -hmm. I'm very, I, you know, I believe in goals and purpose and I want to feel I'm making a difference. And so in a very genuine way. Mm -hmm. So when I get nominated for something like this, Um, and I have a few other examples, the animal health industry recognized me for for leadership, the University of Guelph, uh, the agrologist, a few other groups have received similar awards like this. Um, It's not the award so much as the acknowledgement from my peers. I want people that I consider friends and colleagues to look at what I do as meaningful and to say, you know what, Crystal's I'm really happy to have her on our team because mm-hmm. uh, I'm, a, I'm a sports, I'm an athlete, I'm a hockey player and a team player. So yeah. uh, whenever something like this, I would say the highlights for me is acknowledgement from my peers that I feel at the end of the day,
0: I can say, you know what, I did my best to advance what I could in our sector. Oh, that's so nice. And I'm sure along the way you've met so many people and you have a lot of peers and, and you've expanded your network so much. Are there, um, particular, you know, pieces of advice that you've received from mentors or peers or just other folks within the industry that you've worked with? I'm, I'm sure that I see you nodding your head. I'm sure there's quite a few. Yeah. <laughs> What's
2: stuck so with many you over the years? Um, well, I would say, first of all, my biggest gift and, Highlight of my whole career are the people. Like Mm -hmm. that is that's what drives me is the the amazing people that I've made that I call friends and colleagues literally from coast to coast across every sector. Mm -hmm. And my career is unlike some that I do get to work with all aspects of the food system. You know, so I started out very animal agriculture Ontario, then added crops, then processing, and then with Center for Food Integrity, retail food service. Mm -hmm. Uh, So across sector that's really exciting to me. the last few years getting to know more food service and retail you know chefs very Mm -hmm. fun uh so bringing the food to the agriculture table uh, has been really exciting for me uh in terms of mentors so many uh and so many people that i could just pick up the phone or send a quick note to say what do you think about this crazy idea or uh, you know what i'm feeling really overwhelmed i could use some help with this and Mm -hmm. there's just too many to list uh but many of them that um you know you just Go for a drink whenever you can do that uh, or have a call like this and say, you know what, uh, what do you think? And in a very, you know, that they will give you honest
0: feedback and advice is really invaluable. Mm-hmm. And just having that network is so important, especially when you're new to agriculture. I think, I mean, I've always kind of been surrounded by it, but I only started working in the egg industry in 2013. So, building that network network has been so important, and and finding those people that you can just call and say, "Hey, can we have lunch? And I need to pick your brain about this or, or something." And and that's really important. Um, and I wondered, I'm sure that you've also mentored many other people. Um, wondering if you could, um. You know, go back to the beginning of your career or even just to somebody who's starting, um, whether it would be, you know, giving advice to yourself or, or someone new entering the industry, what advice would you give them? What, what would you teach Crystal back in the back in the day?
2: Well, that's a really, that's a tough question. I'm, I'm currently mentoring two young ladies, uh, one through the Cattle Young Leaders Program and another mm-hmm. one through 4-H. And they're both so incredible. So we have these regular conversations and I'm completely amazed with how incredible these young people are. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the advice I give them is about valuing your time. Because uh, I'm somebody who gets really excited about achieving a very big to-do list. If I can do one more thing, that really makes me happy. Yeah. So, and I like, I'm like, oh, I have ten minutes. I could get my oil changed and go to the bank before my next meeting. Right? That's yeah. that really that jazzes me up. So, uh, when I talked about the thinking before I created Loft Thirty Two, was to take a pause, and that was my word of the year in mm-hmm. uh, in 2018 was pause to say, to, to value my time. Mm -hmm. So to just, uh, if I think of younger crystal, I worked a lot of hours, I drove a lot of miles. I'd hop on an airplane. I would drive to Ottawa. I'd, you know, I worked crazy hours and at some personal expense, you know, Mm -hmm. to health and fitness and calm and a whole bunch of things Uh, to my family. You know, I'd be on the road for a hundred days at a time. Right. So, um, that's a lot. So I would say to my younger self to value your time. And uh, even, you know, in, in 4-H leadership camp, we did our time as a pie chart, you know, a 24-hour uh-huh. pie chart, yep. right? It's very powerful. You know, that yeah. was like back when I was 15. So um, if you think of your time as a pie chart and say you got to sleep this many hours, you're mm-hmm. going to eat, you have to work. So first of all, your work piece of pie to your point from earlier, should be something you love. If you're doing something you love, it doesn't seem like work. It always—we all have bad days, of, of course. course. It's called yeah. work for a reason. Of but course. if you're passionate about it, it's definitely much better than if you're not. And then your spare time is such a narrow little piece of pie. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, what do you do in your spare time? In our quotes, and who do you who
0: do you spend that time with? And just to to make it a little more strategic. Yeah. It's so uh, almost ironic that you say pause was your word of the year in 2018, because I think in 2020 and even a little bit in 2021, we've all been forced to do that a little bit more. And much like you, you know, I'm the kind of person that will just add things to my to-do list just so I can cross them off. To feel hundred oh, percent you know, yes <laughs> right um, but you know as 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 women and I hate to stereotype because there are so many hardworking other people out there when you have a, a family and and so many other priorities you know even just your personal interests like you said you like to play hockey you know you have to it's important to fit those things in there as well and um, especially if you've got kids in the mix it's really easy to just you know put everything else, you know, as an order of importance in your pie chart. I think I need to, to set one of those up for myself and and see to have that visual. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you think about pausing, um, that is something that we've all had to do over the last. 15, 18 months or so now, and uh, it's been hard, I-, I would say, and I'm sure you've noticed that as well as a communications professional, right? Uh, when traveling and and speaking with people and, and having these conversations is so important. And, you know, the pandemic is obviously hindered that among many other things. It's one thing that I know I'm missing in my career right now is having conversations like these. So it's really wonderful to speak to you and be able to see you. And I'm thankful that we have, you know, Zoom and and other platforms like this to to still have some of that face to face, but, uh, it definitely, um, adds a challenge, a challenging aspect onto that part of our jobs. So,
2: yeah, for sure. And my, uh, the loft 32 business platform is, uh, speaking training mm-hmm. and projects. So speaking mm-hmm. at big events, uh, was a big piece of our company mm-hmm. and we still do that. Obviously we have a team of uh, great speakers, but mm-hmm. it's, it's all been online. Right. Yeah. So I did not predict that in my business plan in the first 10 months. So imagine, uh, that hit yeah. about month 10. So luckily the first year was, uh, overachieved our expectations, but it definitely shifted our work and how we work and where we mm-hmm. spend our time to definitely shifting to online platform and online offering, which there's pros and cons, you know, I've been doing some media coaching for, uh, young farmers and ranchers lately. And it's been so exciting. You can just hop on and you know, there's four young farmers and ranchers from across the country. You know, they're busy calving and planting and doing all kinds of cool things, but they can hop on the phone and do a, you know, a Zoom and do a one hour or two hour media coaching session with me. And I can Mm -hmm. watch them improve right in front of my eyes. Uh, so it's taken away some of the barriers of geography, but I'm a people person. So
0: I am absolutely missing our visits and the social side of it for sure. Yeah I can certainly understand that and um, that kind of leads me to my next question which I I may already know the answer to but I wanted to ask as well what keeps you excited about your role in agriculture and just about agriculture in general Um, and it sounds like obviously the people are a big part of that but I'll let you elaborate Mm -hmm. too because I'm sure there are other things as well.
2: Um, Yeah, the people for sure is my like surround yourself with good people and Mm -hmm. you'll always you'll always be successful and uh, good people that like to have fun are my particular kind of people. Um, So that includes my colleagues that I work with on projects and, you know, like this utensil training that, Mm -hmm. for example, Andrew Campbell is one of my colleagues. He's my co-founder on that. And Mm -hmm. he's he's a farm guy and a communications Guru, I would say he's very modest about it, but he's amazing at what he does. So, just getting the opportunity to work with great people like him, and you know, we'll have a phone call in the morning, and the first 20 minutes will be about our kids and what's going on in the barn. And you know, we're just chatting because we just genuinely enjoy having a great old chat. And Mm -hmm. then we get to business, you know. Mm -hmm. So, that absolutely is important for me the social and the good people side. And then, on for the industry itself, um, with all sincerity, feeding people is amazing mm-hmm. and sometimes in agriculture we forget that we're in the business of feeding people regardless of what your role is um, right. you, know, you might be a new, ruminant nutrition specialist delivering a very technical product but the end goal is to put food on the plates of human beings it's, it's amazing
1: and mm-hmm. so i've
2: always been um obviously <laughs> from a young age a big fan and uh, i also feel the industry is very humble and hasn't done a really great job of, we do a great job of feeding people. We do a lousy job of talking about it and we're we're getting better. And that excites me.
0: Yeah, that's so true. It's, it's something that I've always noticed. Um, I, you know, being surrounded by farmers and and working in the industry, like you said, they are humble there. There's so much that they could share that just doesn't maybe necessarily come out. So it's really important to have people like you to, to kind of foster those um, stories and and the comfort so that the story of agriculture can be told because it is really important. And it's, it, when you think about it on a grand level, what an honor to be part of feeding the world, right. And feeding the country. And, 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 and sometimes I think we get all wrapped up. I mean, even in my own minuscule role of, of reporting in ag media, right. It, you get wrapped up in the day-to-day things and you think about like, what am I really doing here? And, and when you talk about putting plates in front of human beings, full of food and full of things that we grow. It's just, it is really gratifying. And I think that's a really important thing to remember and acknowledge for all of us as part of the egg industry.
2: Yeah. And like, I view myself as a coach. Um, you know, I talked about hockey, but seven your sporting analogy here that you like, but for me, All athletes need a good coach, right? Mm -hmm. NHL players have coaches and they do practice every week, even though they're at that level. And so that's an area problem at when we created loft 32, where like people need some coaches. They may already be great at communications or maybe they're very shy about it, but they have a great story to tell. Can we help them with some confidence and some practice and some coaching to do better? And nothing makes me happier than uh, when I see a spokesperson that I had a role in coaching, whether it's through our online utensil training or a session like this, mm-hmm. uh, where I help them become more confident and more comfortable. Mm-hmm. I feel that's my calling now. Is um, I've done lots of media, I've done lots of presentations. I'm happy to do that, but it now in this next chapter of my career, it makes me, it excites me more to see young people do better in their communications or leaders that have been elected into positions that because they have heart for the industry, but maybe they're a little nervous or they don't have the confidence they need mm-hmm. to just take them to that next level. It's mm-hmm. very exciting.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Crystal, there's obviously been a lot of changes to the industry in your career and there will be many more. Um, and I always like kind of framing this as a crystal ball kind of question. If you could look into your crystal ball and and uh, predict what might happen in the next five to ten years. How do you see the egg industry as a whole changing? And what do you want to see particularly more of? What is something that you think we could benefit from on a greater scale? Well, very aptly named for me to have a crystal ball. Of course, yes. Yes. Um,
2: (laughs) I would say um, the biggest thing I have seen changing and uh, I see the need to shift to even more is collaboration. Okay. So our industry is full of silos, mm-hmm. unintended, mm-hmm. Um, by sector, by supply chain, and within the supply chain. And it was the supply chains were not built for collaboration, they were built for competition, mm-hmm. buy sell relationships, and many times uh, competitive or yeah. um, win lose. You know, they were set up as supply chains a long time ago, buy sell right. relationships. Now, uh, to be successful and to get to the next level, our sector needs to think. We still have to have buy-sell relationships, obviously, but mm-hmm. there are many places you know, in my space, public trust and communications, the business skills, we need to invest in collaboration as a business skill. So mm-hmm. not just a corporate culture and something on the wall and the strategic plan that says, right. uh, we're gonna be collaborative, but how to train our people to really think win-win and to give them the skills to be better collaborators. Mm-hmm. And I think this will become more and more important as, um, you know, we're feeding more people with less resources, Um, the number of people growing our food continues to shrink. So... We just need to be smarter with our structures, administration, and Mm -hmm. who does what. So I always say for every new thing that's created, you should have to euthanize a couple old things, Mm -hmm. Um, which for somebody who's created a lot of new things, that's, um, you know, bold talk, but um, just having the confidence to evaluate our current administration structures and how we do business that might've been okay in 1980, but will not be okay in 2030, or won't be as good as it could be. So just having the confidence and the courage and investing in that strategic approach to collaboration, I think will absolutely be key to success.
0: Oh, that's a really interesting answer. And it's, it's very true when you say we don't always have to carry everything from the past with us, maybe we can adjust it, maybe we can change it, um, and to make it more effective. But it, it's hard, especially when you're putting um, time and, and money into developing some sort of a plan or whatever, and then recognizing that this isn't working, and we need to change this and um, tough pill to swallow. I love the the theme of collaboration.
2: It is. And when you think about it, our whole, many of our agricultural associations, if we think of it that way, are developed the way most things in Canada have been, which is Mm -hmm. 11 associations, one national, 10 provincial, Mm -hmm. um, maybe a regional, one in the north. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm doing some work uh, with strategic thinking with a number of groups and companies, and they're struggling with the geography piece, quite Mm -hmm. frankly. So. Mm -hmm. We have these big global issues being on the weights of, we think of an individual farm leader in a province, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, feeding the hungry world, reducing greenhouse gases, improving animal welfare. These are not small weights. These are huge, huge issues. So how do we equip our leadership, um, both on the staff and the board member level, to have the confidence to say let's evaluate things and to see how we can do things better. And I'm seeing collaboration more than I ever have before, which is very exciting. And I think we need to go next level mm-hmm.
0: in the next decade. Yeah, that's great. Well, Crystal, that's about it for my questions for you. Are there any, um, anything else that you wanted to mention before we sign off today?
2: I would just like to say it's a, it's just such an honor to be considered a, an influential woman in Canadian agriculture, I attended the very first uh, conference that had the theme of women in agriculture a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I questioned the need for it at the time. I'm like, Mm -hmm. you know, I was a female who happened to be a leader in the industry. I never really thought about my role specifically uh, as being a woman in the industry up until that meeting. And it was uh, I think it was the second speaker in who talked about her job that required her to fly from Alberta to Toronto and leave her daughter, who was the same age as mine,
0: Mm -hmm. um,
2: crying sometimes Mm -hmm. um, where I started to cry. And I was like, "Okay, there is something a little bit unique about being a female leader in our industry, and it's not just about agriculture, but in general about being a female in a leadership role. Yeah. So, um, that for me was a, a turning point to say, I think there is, there is not, I think there absolutely is value in female leaders, um, who have helped, uh, maybe blaze some new paths, uh, mm-hmm. as well as, uh, built on the shoulders of the amazing female leaders who came before me and encouraging that attitude of help a sister out. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, whenever I can, I've always hired interns and summer students and co-op students, and I still continue to do it even with a limited budget. So I think it's so important to just uh, not only give them experience, um, you know, to share, to learn from them and get their good ideas on the table. And then Mm -hmm. to your point about network is uh, to bring them to some events virtually or hopefully in person to say, come uh, meet my people. My people are your people and help see them grow. Uh, I just think as a female leader in our sector, that's, that's what I
0: think is important. And I'm really honored to be recognized for that. Well, those are some really impactful final words. I think it's as cliche as it sounds, women have to lift each other up and continue to provide the support for one another. There are so many, and there have been so many influential women in agriculture and in every industry for so many years, but it's time that we start to recognize the, the impact that women have in leadership roles across all industries, but especially in agriculture the role has changed so much. And I, I think it's important to recognize that. Absolutely. Sure. My
2: daughter and I are just watching the Anna Green Gables series. We also oh, set yeah. in PEI yeah. not that long ago, really, when yep. you think about it. Yep. And um, so we're having lots of conversations about what's considered girls' work and boys' work. And I, mm-hmm. I will say my brother is eight years younger than me. So I was raised gender neutral on the farm in that there was work and mm-hmm. it wasn't girls or boys. It was yeah. uh, just work that needed to be done. So I've yeah. always had that approach to, to the way I do things. I was like, if, if you're good at something, it doesn't matter your gender. Uh, so for sure, I would say in the last five or seven years, I've just become more aware of there. There's absolutely strengths that we bring to the, the table and to mm-hmm. that concept of helping each other out. And then um, there's also things that other people are better at. So just being confident enough to acknowledge that, that you can be a strong female leader in our sector um, and you'll be stronger when you surround yourself with good people.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Crystal, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you today and hear more from you. So thank you so much for joining us for this podcast.
2: Thanks, Stephanie. And thanks again for the honor and recognition. I really appreciate it.
0: You're welcome. Congratulations. Thanks for tuning in to Egg Annex Talks, the podcast hosted by the agriculture brands of Annex Business Media. You can subscribe to Egg Annex Talks wherever you listen to podcasts or visit eggannex.com to catch up on all of our other episodes.